Early in 1963, Lee and Marina Oswald lived in a house on Neely Street in Dallas. Marina supposedly took one or two photographs of Lee holding a rifle in the backyard of this house. These photos, when later discovered and then circulated into the press, helped solidify in the minds of the public a portrait of Oswald as the dangerous lone assassin. The rifle Oswald held was thought to be the one he used to assassinate President Kennedy. The pistol was supposed to be the weapon he used to kill Officer J.D. Tippett. He also held two socialist newspapers, The Militant and The Worker. Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. Welcome to the End of Innocence. I'm your host, John Young. On the evening of November 22, 1963, FBI agents brought photos, a color transparency, undeveloped film, and developed negatives to the National Photo Labs for developing and printing. Robert and Patricia Hester worked at the National Photo Laboratory in the Oak Cliff section of Dallas. Robert left work on the afternoon of November 22nd, but was called back to develop and process film that was taken in Dealey Plaza. Robert and his wife worked overtime throughout most of the night, developing film and printing photographs. Both of the Hesters said that they saw the, quote, backyard photographs on Friday night, November 22nd, in the hands of the FBI. Robert said that he saw a cover transparency of one of the backyard photos and another photo in which there was no image of Oswald, only the backyard. That same evening, one or more of these photos were seen by several people at the Dallas Police Headquarters, including Captain Fritz, who questioned Oswald about these photos the following day. There is no innocent explanation for these photos, negatives, or a color transparency to have been in the hands of the FBI agents, the Dallas Police, and the National Photo Laboratory on the evening of November 22nd, because the backyard photos were not officially found by the Dallas Police until the next day on November 23rd in Ruth Payne's garage, and the color transparency of the backyard photo seen by the Hesters was never seen again. The issue of the origin of these photographs becomes even stranger when we consider the statements of Robert and Patricia Hester, who worked long hours at the National Photo Lab in Dallas the evening of the Kennedy assassination. 
They were processing film and photographs for the FBI and Secret Service. With me is Jim Mars, a news reporter in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex for nearly two decades and has taught a course on the assassination at the University of Texas at Arlington since the mid-1970s. Jim, you've spoken with both the Hesters, is that right? Yes, that's correct. Unfortunately, they're both dead now. I first interviewed Robert Hester in the late 1970s. He told me he saw the backyard photos in the hands of the FBI the night of the assassination. He was quite insistent on this fact. Of course, that's the day before the photos officially were discovered. In later years, his wife, Pat, confirmed this story and told me and other Texas researchers that the FBI even had a color transparency of one of the photos, as well as a picture of Oswald's backyard, but with no one in the picture. They were very certain about all this. It's very strange. On Saturday, November 23, 1963, at 12.35 p.m., Lee Harvey Oswald was brought to Captain Fritz's office for his fourth interrogation, where Secret Service Inspector Kelly, Detective Sinkle and Ternon of the Homicide Division, FBI Agent James Bookout, and Captain Will Fritz were waiting. Fritz wrote, quote, I talked to Oswald about the different places he had lived in Dallas in an effort to find where he was living when the picture was made of him holding a rifle, which looked to be the same rifle we had recovered. This picture showed to be taken near a stairway with many identifying things in the backyard, end quote. Captain Fritz, who was in charge of President Kennedy's homicide, questioned Oswald and wrote, quote, I again asked him about his property and where his things might be kept, and he told me about the things at Mrs. Payne's residence and a few things on Beckley, end quote. Oswald was then returned to his jail cell at 1.10 p.m. Captain Fritz recalled, quote, Mrs. Payne had told me about where Oswald lived on Neely Street. Oswald was very evasive about this location. We found later that this was the place where the pictures were taken, end quote. When shown one of the backyard photographs, Captain Fritz said that Oswald made the following remarks, quote, He said the picture was not his, that the face was his face, but that this picture had been made by someone superimposing his face, the other part of the picture was not him at all, and that he had never seen this picture before. He told me that he understood photography real well and that in time he would be able to show that it was not his picture and that it had been made by someone else, end quote. Oswald further stated that he had been photographed several times a day before by the police and that the photograph was a composite. He asked to have John J. Abbott, a New York City attorney known for handling political conspiracy cases, represent him. He was permitted to call Abbott, but Abbott was away and unavailable over the weekend. During his time in custody, no lawyer was present on behalf of Lee Oswald, and he died Sunday morning without having legal representation. Immediately after Oswald was returned to his jail cell at 1.10 p.m., members of the Homicide Division obtained a search warrant from Judge Joe B. Brown. The search warrant authorized the officers to recover any remaining items that belonged to Oswald from Ruth Payne's home in Irving, Texas. When the officers arrived at a residence later that afternoon, Mrs. Payne welcomed them in and told them they could search the house as much as they wanted. Mrs. Payne then left the house with Marina and their children and told the detectives they were going grocery shopping. Their absence from the home avoided a potential problem if and when Marina had been shown and asked questions about the backyard photos by the detectives. During his fourth interrogation, Oswald avoided discussing the Neely Street property with Captain Fritz, but there is no indication that Oswald lied. Captain Fritz's report clearly states that he knew about the Neely Street address, and he also knew about one or more of the backyard photos on or before Saturday morning at 12.35 p.m. 
Fritch's report is very significant because it shows that he knew about the backyard photo several hours before these photos were found later that afternoon by Dallas detectives. This was only possible because the Dallas police and the FBI had one or more of the backyard photos before these photos were officially found at Ruth Payne's house. These photos were found officially at 4.35 p.m. on Saturday, November 23, 1963. The house, owned at the time by Michael and Ruth Payne, served as a temporary residence for Marina Oswald and her children. The Paynes were separated and living apart, so Ruth had offered her home to Marina. Marina's husband, Lee Harvey Oswald, was living at his rooming house at 1026 North Beckley in Dallas to be near his newly acquired job at the Texas School Book Depository in downtown Dallas. Oswald visited Marina and the children customarily on Fridays and spent the weekend at the Payne home and returned again to Dallas for work on Monday mornings. After his shift on Thursday, November 21, 1963, Oswald surprised co-worker Buell Wesley Frazier in asking for a ride back to Irving on Thursday instead of the following day. Frazier, a nearby neighbor of the Paynes, also worked at the Texas School Book Depository, and he and Oswald commuted together daily to downtown Dallas. Lee stated that Marina had made him some new curtains for his apartment, and he wanted to retrieve them. On the morning of November 22, 1963, the Warren Commission claims that Oswald retrieved his rifle from the garage where it was concealed in a blanket on the garage floor of the Roof Payne residence. Leaving early before anyone was awake and leaving cash and his wedding ring on a bedside table, Oswald reportedly then wrapped the rifle in some bulk brown wrapping paper and proceeded a half block to the home where Frazier stayed. He placed the package in the back seat and began the commute to the Texas School Book Depository. Hours later, President John F. Kennedy was assassinated as his presidential motorcade passed directly in front of the building where Oswald worked. That's the official story, so to speak. Commission made every effort to prove that the backyard photos were genuine, but photographic experts noted shadow inconsistencies between the body, ground, and head, a composite line in the photo between the mouth and the chin, and mismatching head and body proportions. Various researchers have spent years studying this incriminating evidence, and today almost all are convinced Oswald was truthful about the pictures being fabricated. To begin with, it appears there were actually four backyard pictures. One was described by Marguerite Oswald as depicting her son holding a rifle above his head with both hands. She was shown this photo by Marina at the Payne's Irving home the night of the assassination. On Marguerite's insistence, the incriminating photo was burned and flushed down a toilet. 
1976, the Senate Intelligence Committee discovered yet a fourth backyard photo in the hands of the widow of a Dallas policeman. The former Mrs. Roscoe White said her husband once told her the picture would be very valuable someday. In this unknown version of the backyard photo, Oswald is depicted holding the rifle in his left hand and the socialist material in his right. This is the same pose used by Dallas police in reenacting the photo for the Warren Commission. Strong evidence that authorities were aware of the suppressed picture long before it became known to the public. An objective viewing of three available backyard photos reveals internal problems aplenty. Although all three pictures were reportedly taken with a handheld camera, the background of all three is identical when brought to the same size. That is, though cropped differently in the three photos, the elements of the background, the shadows, the leaves, the branches, stairs, etc. are exactly identical. This sameness of background could be produced with a stationary camera on a heavy tripod, but is certainly impossible with a handheld camera. The fact that the pictures indicate being taken on a bright sunny day is itself suspicious as records of the Dallas office of the U.S. Weather Bureau show that March 31, 1963 was a cloudy day with traces of rain. The V-shaped shadow under Oswald's nose remains the same in all three pictures, although his head is tilted in different directions. And the photos all show a discernible line marking a break in the prints of motion across Oswald's face just above a flat, broad chin. In Dallas police photos, it is clear that Oswald had a sharply pointed cleft chin. And when all three photos are brought to the same size and placed on top of each other as transparencies, nothing matches except the face of Lee Harvey Oswald. That is strong evidence that he was telling the truth when he said his face had been superimposed on another body. Oswald's assessment that the photos are superimposed fakes has been confirmed by two foreign authorities. In 1977, Major John Pickard, commander of the photographic department at the Canadian Defense Department, made these statements after studying the backyard pictures. Quote, the pictures have the earmarks of being faked. The shadows fall in conflicting directions. The shadow of Oswald's nose falls in one direction and that of his body in another. The photos were shot from a slightly different angle, a different distance, with the gun in a different hand. So if one photo is laid on top of another, nothing could match exactly. Yet impossibly, while one body is bigger, in the other the heads match perfectly, bearing out Oswald's charge that his head was pasted on an incriminating photograph." End quote. Photo expert Jack White, who was a good friend of mine, analyzed the backyard photos in his laboratory in Irving, Texas. The shadow under Oswald's nose is vertical, but the shadow on his neck, only a few inches down, fall diagonally to the left. In other words, the sun was at two different positions, which is an impossibility. White has discovered other problems with the backyard photos. In one picture, the tips of Oswald's fingers appear to be missing, as well as one end of the rifle's telescopic sight. White claims this is due to sloppy airbrushing on the part of whoever faked the pictures. In one photo, the figure can be seen wearing a large ring on his right hand, yet the ring is missing in the other photos. Sameness of background in Oswald's face, conflicting shadows and distances, loss of proportions of the photos, again, a vital piece of evidence remain in controversy despite the inconsistencies which can be viewed by any layman and studied opinions of foreign experts. Yet the federal government continues to vouch for the authenticity of the incriminating photos. The reason for this steadfast support may have been voiced by House Committee Chief Counsel Robert Blakely, who told the committee, quote, If the backyard photographs are invalid, how they were produced poses far-reaching questions in the area of conspiracy, for they would require a degree of technical sophistication that would almost necessarily raise the possibility that more than private parties conspired to not only to kill the president, but to make Oswald Patsy, end quote. When I spoke to Marina Oswald at her home on August 9, 1997, she was still convinced that the backyard photos were fakes. 
She said, I took only one picture of Lee that day, and he was standing up against the fence in the alley. He was not standing in the yard like these photos show. I will go to my grave knowing this is true. Jack White, who was a fellow researcher and very good friend of mine, did a lot of extensive work on the backyard photographs. Jack was a nationally known expert on the assassination and served as a photographic consultant to the House Select Committee on Assassinations during the hearings. He was also a consultant on the Oliver Stone film JFK. As a result of his interest in the Kennedy assassination, White published several videotapes on his photographic studies of the assassination. Jack White died on the 18th of June 2012 at the age of 85. He remains one of my greatest heroes in the study of this case. Craig, I'm here in the office of Jack White, a graphics expert in Fort Worth, Texas. Mr. White has studied the JFK assassination case since the day it happened. And as a photographic consultant, Jack presented some of his graphic analysis to the House Select Committee on Assassinations in the late 1970s. Mr. White, what got you interested in the assassination case? Well, Dan, I've worked in graphic arts since uh, graduating from TCU in 1949. At the time of the assassination, I was vice president and executive art director of the largest advertising agency in Fort Worth. I read uh, Oswald's comments about the backyard photos and how they were fakes, and I decided to check it out for myself. And what have you found from your studies? Well, Dan, I obtained uh, good quality prints of the backyard prints of the backyard photos from the National Archives back in the early 70s. Since then, I have studied them extensively. Along with other researchers, I have found many things about these photos which make me highly suspicious of them. There are many aspects which seem to point to fabrication. You mean the pictures may have been faked somehow? Yes, exactly. I would especially point to problems with the body of the figure in the photograph, the rifle, the telescopic sight, Oswald's face, the picture's backgrounds. This sameness of backgrounds in two separate photographs is possible in only two situations. One is that the camera was resting on a heavy tripod which never moved between frames, or that a single backyard scene was used as a background for two composite photographs. Of course, the official version of the taking of these two photos has it that Oswald's wife used a cheap handheld camera. She has specifically denied using a tripod. On the basis of these inconsistencies, anomalies, and the evidence of retouching, I believe that these incriminating backyard photographs, highly publicized as proof of Oswald's guilt, are nothing more than cleverly constructed composite forgeries. Fakes. We must remember that Mr. White's conclusions of fakery have been echoed by foreign photographic experts in Canada and England. Now let's return to Jim Mars and hear his thoughts on this issue. I think I speak for many people who have studied the assassination when I thank Jack White and the many others who have made such a painstaking study of the backyard photographs. It appears obvious to most researchers that serious questions remain regarding the authenticity of these photographs despite the pronouncements of government experts. I need not remind the audience of the many instances that the government pronouncements have proven false. And in this case, I'm afraid that in recent years, certain people within the federal government have become suspect in Kennedy's unsolved murder. 
In the coming years, it'll be up to the citizens of the United States to look beyond the official pronouncements regarding Kennedy's assassination and view the available evidence for themselves. Next week on the end of Innocence, the JFK assassination, we take a look at maybe the most mysterious figure in the entire JFK assassination, Jack Ruby. And how in the world did Jack Ruby walk up among dozens of Dallas police officers and reporters and shoot Lee Harvey Oswald on live television? We'll see you next week. Country, I was a soldier for you. I did what you asked me to, it was wrong in you. Country. I'm just a stranger to 